0: Thanks for tuning in to Organic Matters for this part of the show. I always do my one quarter of my, my time each week. I call them on Organic Matters factoids. And it can vary in subjects from what I find. But one of my pet peeves is protecting the bees. And I try at least once a month or so to kind of catch up on the current uh, bee science as we know it. So this is my latest update. Studies have shown that the wax and pollen in 98% of the beehives in this country and the whole United States is contaminated with an average of at least six persistent pesticides. These substances lower the bees' immunity to, one thing for sure, the devastating varroa mite that's become much more common, and also other pathogens. By some estimates, pesticides cause beekeepers to lose about a third or a little better of their hive's Every year, on average, in the last at least decade or so. Researchers at Cornell University have developed a new technology that effectively protects bees from insecticides. The insecticide anecdote delivery method is now the basis of a new company called Bimunity. I have learned about them, but they're getting more into the news. The Cornell researchers developed a uniform pollen sized microparticle filled with enzymes that are capable of detoxifying organophosphate insecticides before they are absorbed and can hurt the bee. Organophosphate insecticides account for at least a third of the insecticides on the whole American market. The microparticles have a protective casing that allows the enzymes to move past the bee's crop, basically the stomach. Which is acidic and would otherwise break them down. The safeguarded enzymes then enter the, what they call the midgut of the bee, where digestion occurs and where toxins and nutrients are usually absorbed. There, the enzymes act to break down and detoxify the organophosphate insecticides. In experimental tests, bees that were fed the enzyme-filled microparticles had 100% survival rate after exposure to the insecticide Malathion, which is one of the most dangerous. The unprotected control bees all died within days. Cornell work appears to represent a low cost, scalable solution to the insecticide toxicity issue and may help to protect essential pollinators and maybe even other beneficial insects. Let me add a side of my own here. This is the direction we need to go to feed us in the future. We have got to quit poisoning every the better living through chemistry used to be a saying. Let's call it this way. Let's let's call it better living through safer chemistry. And the idea of using enzymes and and beneficials to take care of the pest problems and a pointed particular Solution to individual polyps instead of a blanket effect where we throw out things like malathion and organophosphates that, that generally kill everything around, it actually throws the environment in the whole area where it's used out of whack. It's just really unnecessary, which brings you to another very interesting... um, I'm going to use the word, as you said, said, I don't want to use poisons and pesticides. But this is a pesticide that is very pointed to a particular problem. And it's very interesting because it's safe in the environment. It's actually made from beer. Researchers from the Niker Basque Institute of Agricultural Research and Development in Spain have demonstrated that a combination of rapeseed cake and beer bagasse can be used to reduce populations of soil parasites and increase crop yields without dangers to anything else and just for you folks that don't happen to make your own beer beer bagasse is, is actually just spent brewers grain the stuff that's left over after beer is made beer brewing generates substantial amounts of Several products, including the bagasse. A large amount of spent grain is actually just a byproduct of making beer. And it already has some practical uses, is including as a feedstock for biofuel, as a food additive. They even have some medicinal uses. But the new research has shown that the bagasse can be the basis for a, let's call it it's a new word, but it's not, biodisinfestation treatment to be used in agriculture. The aim is to disinfect soils, protect soil microorganisms, and increase crop yields all at the same time. The actual material study was a mixture of beer bagasse, rapeseed cake, incidentally canola oil is made from rapeseed folks, and a generous amount of fresh cow manure. The high nitrogen content of the mixture promotes the activity of good, beneficial microorganisms in the soil, which helps to break down organic matter and kill off nematodes and other parasites that actually usually damage your crops. Nematodes are common little parasites that can penetrate plant roots to lay their eggs, which damages the root and prevents the plants from absorbing nutrients very effectively. Application of the bagasse-based mixture over a a year, over about a 12-month period, increased the crop yield by over 15% and boosted healthy soil microbes at the same time. And to boost my concept of how we really should be approaching the ever-increasing food problem for almost 8 billion people... The study demonstrated that agricultural byproducts can be an effective treatment for root-knot nematodes and other soil parasites, increase crop yields, and help promote sustainable food systems to reduce waste from agricultural industry. The researchers hope to identify other potential organic treatments for tackling soil parasite problems. Which, incidentally, Gives me another segue, is the fancy word, into another subject I try to approach at least several times a year because it is an ongoing problem, and that is the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. A team of scientists, including a group from the University of Michigan aquatic ecologist, is forecasting this summer's Gulf of Mexico hypoxia. That's an area or called dead zone, lack of oxygen that can kill fish and a lot of other marine life to be approximately 4,880 square miles this year. It's actually a bit smaller than kind of what we call the norm. And it's still about the size of the state of Connecticut. But the reason it's down, of course, is the COVID-19 situation has slowed everything down, even uh, growing crops and stuff up and down the Mississippi River confluence, which is actually the source of most of what causes the dead zone the 2021 forecasted area is smaller than but close to the five-year average measured size of about 5,400 square miles. However, this year's predicted dead zone will still be more than double the long-term goal set by the Interagency Mississippi River and Gulf of Mexico Hypoxia Task Force, that's a mouthful, which set a goal of reducing the size of the hypoxic zone working on a five-year average to be at least down to 1,900 square miles. Each year, the forecasts are reported to be bigger or smaller than some long-term averages, when in fact, the long-term average is not acceptable to begin with. Large reductions are called for in the federal-state action plans that have been in place for about 20 years already. Clearly, something different needs to be done in the watershed to actually reduce the nutrient loads and reduce the size of the dead zone. The 2021 UM Gulf of Mexico hypoxia forecast was released two days ago by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, which funds the work. This year's forecasted dead zone is substantially less than the the biggest ever, which was 8,776 square miles in the year 2017, which is the largest zone measured since they started mapping it way back in 1985. Understand the effects of hypoxia on valuable Gulf of Mexico resources has been a long-term focus of NOAA's research. They say these forecasting models inform us of the potential magnitude of the Gulf of Mexico hypoxic zone that might impact living marine sources and coastal economies. The annual Gulf of Mexico dead zone is primarily caused by excess nutrient pollution from human activities in urban and agricultural areas throughout the whole Mississippi River watershed. When the excess nutrients reach the Gulf, they stimulate an overgrowth of algae, which eventually dies and decomposes, and depletes oxygen as they sink to the bottom. The resulting low oxygen levels near the bottom of the ocean cannot support most marine life. Fish, shrimp, and crabs and other things that can swim out of the area seem to do okay, but animals that are unable to swim or move away are distressed or killed by the low oxygen ratios. The Gulf of Mexico dead zone occurs every summer to some degree. The USGS operates more than 3,000 what we call real-time stream gauges, 60 real time nitrate sensors and about 38 long term monitoring sites to measure nutrients in rivers throughout the Mississippi Atchafalaya watershed. Data from these networks are used to track long term changes in nutrient inputs in the Gulf and to help build models of nutrient sources and hotspots within the actual watershed. Recent results from USGS models show that the agricultural sources together are the largest nutrient source as a problem going into the Gulf, and that much of that originates in the upper Midwest and areas along the Mississippi River. But urban areas, human waste treatment, precipitation and atmospheric dust, and natural sources also contribute to the problem. This year's predicted dead zone would be larger than the long term goal set by the Interagency Mississippi River and Gulf of Mexico Task Force. The task force strives to reduce the gulf dead zone by identifying it and implementing nutrient reduction strategies across the Mississippi River watershed and has set a goal of reducing the size of the hypoxic zone to a five-year average of around 1,900 square miles. It's only about a third of what's happening right now, folks. The Hypoxia Task Force plays a critical role in managing nutrient loads in the Mississippi River Basin to reduce, over time, the size of that hypoxic zone. Interestingly, when you actually look at part of the shed that feeds that system, we're part of it. I didn't realize that some of the water that's up in the upper well, upper Texas area, but especially the upper eastern Texas area, does end up in that watershed. Likewise, one that's not brought up on this particular study, but is part of it, is the water systems that come right through central Texas that dump into San Antonio Bay, and that part of the Gulf is now creating its own hypoxic zone and and already bothering some of the marine life, shrimp and things that we kind of subsist on here In the great state of Texas, since this is a gardening show, but I also deal with ranchers and farmers on occasion, one of the things that's a part of the problem is if they have a problem in the field, they've been kind of trained in years past, if a little bit of nitrogen or fertilizer is good, a lot must be better. And it's just not true. That lot, that overage, if you don't get a little bit more scientific about it, ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. Another good thing to take a look at, it'd really be less expensive for the ranchers and farmers if they really do the studies and do it right on their land. And it would certainly slow down the uh, growth of hypoxic zones in the Gulf of Mexico.